Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. So there's a chance you might not be paying close attention to the big scandal happening in baseball. A scandal involving the Houston Astros and alleged cheating. Cheating to the point that um, it is believed, I mean, we've had uh, 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 coaches, managers, players being fined, uh, suspended, that they literally changed the outcome of games. Yeah, Major League Baseball last month announced that the Astros had used video replay feed to steal the other team's signals, okay? This happened in 2017, 2018. Tipping off batters to, you know, off-speed pitches, banging on garbage cans, things of the like. Now we have a former Diamondback um, who is suing the Astros because of this. Raddick on second, Gurriel on first, the pitch. The August 4th, 2017 game Houston was a blowout. Three-run shot by Marvin Gonzalez. The Astros beat the Blue Jays 16-7 in the last major league game that Toronto relief pitcher Mike Bolsinger would play. He says the batters just seemed to know what pitches he was throwing before he threw them. Now the world knows about the Astros' elaborate sign-stealing system, and Bolsinger has filed suit. He claims his career was damaged by that night on the mound in Houston. Jim Ryan, ABC News. And the Astros' lead is 16-7. to yeah. So uh, he's, he's listen, he is saying that that one night and the shellacking that he took, also making the argument that the Astros were, were cheating, fundamentally changed the, uh, the course of his career. And he thinks he's owed some $30 million. Joining us right now on the KTAR Newsmaker line is our legal analyst, Monica Lindstrom. Monica, does he have a case? He has a good case. I, I don't know. I don't know how far it's going to go because this is the first case of this type that I've heard about. But if you just look at it this way, baseball is a business and his career is a business. And because he, he was basically destroyed by cheating and unfair and unlawful practices, right, because the Astros weren't supposed to be able to do these types of things, then he could convince a judge or a jury that he should be entitled to some compensation. Now, remember that he wants some of the money to go to charities and to baseball funds and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I really like this lawsuit. Maybe not so much Mm -hmm. about whether it's going to win or not, but that someone is actually taking a stand when Major League Baseball didn't take a big enough stand, if you ask me. Monica, I I would counter that with this. You know that a manager is not going to cut a good player, a valuable asset to their team because they had a bad night. We all have bad days at work. Every professional athlete has had an off game. One game does not make nor break a player. It's the totality of who they are as an individual and what kind of value they bring to the team. He was cut because he was old and didn't do a good job on the mound. The fact that the Astros were cheating could be a factor but it wasn't the end-all be-all. Yeah, I'd agree with you, Pamela, that it's not the only reason why he got cut. But when you look at the statistics of that game and where he was at in his career, it's possible that that's enough to be able to say, yeah, they damaged him because it's Mm. all about when you file a civil lawsuit, you have to be able to prove that there's damages, right? That you have actually been damaged monetarily or physically. So he's saying that this was... 
<clears throat> he's going to be hard-pressed, like you say, to say this was the only reason he was cut and never came back. But if he can show that there's enough of a connection that this was the final straw, he should have been able to do much better as a relief pitcher, but for their cheating. And if he can find a judge or a jury to say, yeah, I do see the connection there. Maybe you're not going to get all the money you want, but yeah, we think that they did something to hurt you. Then that's enough to possibly win some money here. Monica Lindstrom is KTAR legal analyst, and she joins us right now. Because here's, well, I think he... I, I, I see both the sides, and I think he may have something of a case. But I'm worried about the precedent. I'm worried about the slippery slope, because let me play this out. Let's go into other areas of sports. And a player or a team cheat, and maybe they get a penalty for it. Think about a... Uh, New England. <clears throat> well, okay. <laughs> the, the Patriots. Or think about a player who maybe does a, 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 an illegal hit or cross-checking in hockey and injures another player and fundamentally changes the course of their career on a play or an incident in which they were penalized by the sport, could they in turn then go after a team or a player saying, you ruined the rest of my career with your illegal against-the-game actions? And that has happened before. I think there was a case with hockey where um, one of the players did something that was so far beyond what you would expect in a hockey game, that he injured someone so seriously they couldn't play anymore, so they turned around and sued them. So I don't think it's going to be a slippery slope because if you think back to the cheating scandals, we have the Patriots, we had um, something going on with the Saints uh, where they were you know, taking out people. I forget what the tackling was, what, what we called it. Mm-hmm. And then there was um, this one. There's not like there are so many that it's going to create that slope. Now, when you start going into the um, intentional fouls, the, uh, um, the blazon fouls, whether it's in hockey or it's football, then I think we have to be careful with the slope because was it targeting and really bad, or was it just they made the wrong move and they get called for targeting? Mm. So it's going to be more of a, a, a subjective standard, but that's just how life is, right? I mean, there are some things where we have judges and juries that decide whether it goes any further or it doesn't. And that's what's going to be interesting about this case. I don't see the Astros uh, settling this case at all. I think they're probably laughing and going, yeah, right, whatever, bring it on. But this could be a trendsetter. Careful what you wish for. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Monica, yep. thank you for your time today. We appreciate that. That's Monica Lindstrom, KTAR legal analyst, reacting to a former D-back pitcher who is suing the Houston Astros, saying that they're cheating in this whole sign-stealing ruined his career. Yeah, and you know what? I, I just, I don't like it. I don't like people blaming other people for ruining their careers. Now, if you are a hockey player and somebody does a nasty cross-check on you and, God forbid, somebody skates over your ankle, Ugh. you know what I mean? Like, that could ruin your career. Like, you had no control over uh-huh. that situation. If you are a professional pitcher and you have been, you know, kind of bumping around in the minors for a couple of seasons and then you were, you know, in in triple A ball playing for a couple teams, you get pulled up, you've been converted to a reliever, all of what happened here, like you are in control of your destiny as, as a player at this point in time. Is it unfortunate that this had happened to you with this one particular game when you were trying to make a splash and you were resting so much on it? Yeah. 
But then that means that you weren't doing a great job all the other games if you were putting all your eggs in this one basket. I get it. I get it. But, you, you know, there is such a thing. And we've had instances in, in sports where one play, one high-profile thing completely changes your trajectory. Think about, like, the kicker that misses the field goal in the Super Bowl or whatever. Does and he that, go and sue then because somebody snapped the ball wrong? No, but but again, if someone was cheating and it led to him missing that and then he gets cut and da 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 because of that. I just don't I, like people crying, and it seems to me like this guy is crying. He goes on to say that, you know, because nobody picked him up from, uh, you know, the major league, he had to go to Japan. And his wife was pregnant during that time. And, you know, baby was born during the second season. They had no family in Japan. They didn't speak the language. It was really tough on him. I think he's, I'm sure you went, you went it way, was. Yeah, you, that was a way right-hand turn but, but off that's, that. But, but that's yeah. where I'm looking at the totality of the but, suit, and you're so, just complaining. So what about the players? Okay, make it more real. What about the teams that lost? What about the team that lost the World Series to the Houston Astros. That's not up for me to decide. That's for Major League to clean up this mess. That right, they but, but my point being is, those players was their value and or worth in baseball fundamentally changed because they're not World Series winners? Probably. I mean, think about those who are all on the team. I mean, go back to like those that were on the, the Diamondbacks winning team. Remember like, that? We all know their names. Absolutely. And, and did If it, they would have lost to the Yankees? You wouldn't know it. Would so, Luis Gonzalez be Luis Gonzalez? I'm not, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, would he have this kind of mythical status? And, and but how do you how do you go back retroactively and punish yeah. somebody or some team or some organization for that? I, I just don't I just don't like this. Yeah, it, it, it is a bit of a scandal though inside baseball. In baseball, you're right. What a black eye, and they can't quite figure out how to how to solve it's their this. problem. You and made they, this mess. You they're going to sue it. themselves out of it. Al Roker, TV's weatherman, right? Al Roker. He does one thing every night before he goes to bed. Not that. We'll tell you what it is. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. What does Al Roker do every single night before he goes to bed? It's probably none of the things that are running through your mind right now. Fair? Fair. Al Roker has a 17-year-old son, Nick Roker. And Al takes his cell phone from his son and puts it in a safe and locks it up overnight. Good job, Al. Good job. He locks his son's phone in a safe every night. And when you look at the research, it's something that you may want to do as well. Just does it overnight. And, and his idea is to, one, give his son a break from the constant notifications, which are really hard even as an adult to ignore. And also take a break from that, you know, 24-7 social interactions. And more importantly, also get a good night's sleep. We've seen stories, crazy stories before, of parents who, you know, put their kids to sleep. I mean, we're, we're talking tweens, teens, and the kids are in bed and, you know, mom gets up at three o'clock in the morning because, you know, she's got to go to the bathroom or something and she sees, like, the, the blue the light glow. glowing yeah, yeah. and goes and, and sees the kids playing on video games that they mm. act like they go to sleep and then they get up and they, and oh, you know, so they're playing video games or on they're on their phone and it's, it's disrupting their sleep, it is distracting, and it is critical to their mental health. And, and, and that's something that we all have to be aware of. And, and that's why Al Roker says he does it, uh, that it, it it's something that 
creates mental distress and even suicide risk among adolescents. Teens have really increased their self-harm reporting and have been hospitalized because of self-harm and hospitalized because of suicide attempts and suicide deaths have gone up as well. And so they think there's a correlation between those two. They can't say one causes the other, but they think there's a connection because, again, as these smartphones have increased in use, so have the reports Mm -hmm. and the hospitalizations. You know, I would hope that if Al Roker is concerned about the mental health of his kid, he's doing something other than just locking the phone up. And I, I'll assume that he is. This is in the vein of what the context um, and the conversation was. But his, his son is 17. Yeah. You know, we're, at what point do you stop locking it up? And at what point are they an adult? I, I would argue that they we're getting pretty darn close to that. But what is the age? How young is too young? When should you start having conversations about mental health, suicide, thoughts of self-harm. There's a study out there, and I hope you're sitting down, because they found that suicidal thoughts can begin in children as young as nine years old. Nine. Why are nine-year-olds... That is... That is heartbreaking. It, it is heartbreaking. I have a 10-year-old, and so, boy, does this just hit Because we me think about, oh, teenagers, high school kids, nine. Now, the, the way young people, and when I say young people, I'm talking before tween, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, we had to have a term for it for a teenager, and that became the tween-ager. Now we're getting into nine. That's not a tween. That, that's, a, that's a kid. Okay, just a kid. And, and what we're finding here is that um, a lot of the kids... That have had thoughts. And the thoughts aren't necessarily, I'm going to go kill myself. The thoughts are just like, you know, I wish I was dead. I just wish I wasn't here. Yeah. Which is hard for me to even verbalize to you when we're talking about it, a nine, a or nine a ten year old. Um, what they're finding is that so many of them don't have an engaged parent. So they have no one to talk to. They, they have no one to wor- work these feelings out. Um, hmm. And... That's sad in and of itself. It is sad in and of itself. But but that's kind of what they're finding when they dive deeper. So I think it's super easy for parents like myself to read stories like this and freak out. Yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. You've got nine-year-olds thinking about, you know, suicide. What does this world come to? And that's a very easy knee-jerk reaction. And And you know what? In some cases, it's a warranted one. But I think for me, what I try to, to bring it back to, to, to center, if you will, is, is to remind myself, if, if you're an engaged parent, if you are putting your own technology away and you're having those conversations and connections with your, you know, your 9, 10-year-old, your 12, 13-year-old, your 16, 17-year-old, that... That is the best anecdote for mental health struggles, Hmm. for self-harm, for suicide ideation, is being there, is listening, is being a part of it. Technology scares the hell out of me. It honestly does when I think of my 10-year-old. And it's the reason why she doesn't have a cell phone and is not going to be getting one for quite some time. But what I'm trying to build with her is a strong connection and a strong relationship. So when that technology and those struggles of being a kid really start entering into her life, she knows she has someone to go to because this study is saying those that are the most at risk don't have that trusted adult. If you are engaged in your nine-year-old's life, if you can have conversations with them, you are doing 
amazing. You're leaps and bounds ahead of preventing this so that these kids do have a way to talk this through, express their feelings, and have a caring adult in their life talk to them about it. That goes so much further than anything else yeah. you can do. Just being present and being there for your kid, listening. Hey, and if you can't listen to the rest of the show, well, you no doubt you can get the Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes Show podcast whenever you want to listen. Super easy for you to subscribe to. This week it is brought to you by your Valley Chevy dealers. Move over, Ohio. Get out of the way, Virginia. Arizona, a key battleground state this time around. And how will we avoid some of the hmm, mistakes of the past? We're talking about it next on Arizona's News Station. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. You know, we've heard lots of talk about the importance of Arizona in the upcoming presidential and senatorial election. We know that Trump coming here next week is an example of that, a acknowledgement that Arizona is in play and in play in a way that it hasn't been maybe in forever. Yeah, I mean, think about it. When was the last time Arizona was considered a battleground state? I'll wait. Yeah, I'm going to be here a long Ever? time. Exactly. Uh, us getting in this, like, you know, top of the ticket kind of dogfight that we're expecting to see is really unprecedented. When you start taking a look at what is happening here, Arizona for the longest of time was like a foregone conclusion that it was going to vote Republican. We had only voted Democratic once in 70 years. For example. Okay. <laughs> so other than that. Yeah. But right now. Uh, the race in Arizona, specifically, let's just talk for a moment about, you know, the, the presidential race. OK. OK. Is is so tight mm-hmm. that people that are studying this, they, they list us as a toss up. OK. And you've got the major news organizations, you know, New York Times, CNN, those that do these kinds of polls have now included us. Yes. Arizona and our battleground state polling for the first time ever. Yeah. There is. So last election, what were the battleground states? Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Wisconsin, Ohio. Right. You're not hearing talk about Ohio. Apparently, Ohio's off the map now. Wisconsin, maybe not as much. Florida still. But now you're going to throw Arizona into there. And I just find that absolute- Colorado is going to be a part Colorado, of it. Yeah. yeah. And, and so the other thing that, that they're finding, uh, Georgia. Georgia is another state that has never been considered a battleground state. If you watch like on election night, you know, you're watching, you know, Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania, you know, the the shocker last year was, you know, Michigan and Wisconsin, not last year, last election. But but when you start seeing like Arizona and Georgia, wait a second, Texas. Well, let me give you an example. If you're looking at the, the average of the polls right now, okay. Real Clear Politics is a website. You can go check that out. Trump versus Biden in Arizona. Trump. Ver- okay. Yeah. 47.3 Biden, 47.0 Trump. That's as tight as it gets, folks. Three-tenths of a percent? That, again, we're talking to you. I mean, we we know that folks here in Arizona, um, 
are, are split. And we also know that the demographics of our state is changing, which then is having an impact on the politics of our state. Without a doubt. Then you again, in the same average of the polls, you look at McSally versus Kelly. You've got Kelly at 46.3, McSally at 43.7. So let's, okay, so let's so shift gears Trump away. Trump ahead of Biden by three-tenths of a point, and you have Mark Kelly ahead of McSally by three points. So, for, okay, we'll transition away the from the presidential <laughs> election. Let's get, you know, a little bit closer to home with, with our Senate election. Yes. Uh, earlier this morning, uh, Alex Castellanos was on with Arizona's Morning News, and he was taking uh, a laser focus on our Senate race here in the state. And here's what he's had to say. An astonishing number for Mark Kelly, the amount of money raised and the amount of money he has on hands. He's raised nearly $20 million. He has almost $14 million million on hand, which is twice as much as Martha McSally has, a little over $7 million on hand. And what does money do? Well, money can let you get on TV early and set the narrative for the race. Look at Michael Bloomberg spending alone in these primary states for president all by himself and moving his numbers. It lets you fight back against attacks later. It lets you define what the race is about. You get to tell the story because your megaphone is bigger and louder. So a big advantage here early in the race for Mark Kelly. Can, can we also just, yes, everything he said there is 100% true. I get it. Um, I am still one. Regardless of who has the money, regardless of which side is going to bombard the other side with ads or signs on, at, at intersections, count me as one of the people that is still disappointed that we calculate winning and losing in politics by how much money you have in your back pocket that this isn't about ideas and policies and this isn't about who's who's better it's about who can be on tv more you know i find it funny that when i talk about ideas and policies and what's right and what's wrong you laugh at me and go oh, how cute yeah oh, how cute pamela that's not how the real world works well, people vote on emotion politics works they vote on emotion and feel yeah. but but kind of reacting to what alex castellano said on arizona's morning news just because mark kelly has more money mm-hmm Yes, he can buy more ads. Yes, he can counter anything that's negative. But what what jumped out to me there is he said that he can control the narrative. He can set the tone for this race. Quick, Bruce, how is Mark Kelly defining this race? Exactly. He hasn't. He has not come out with a strong theme Policy. Here's what I want from Arizona. But this has to be strategy, right? So his strategy must be... What's the strategy? I'm going to wait for McSally to do something and then I can counter? I don't know what the strategy is. Hmm. And I think that that hurts him. I have a question. Hold on, hold on. He's going to have to get to that strategy quickly. You know why? What you opened up this segment with is very relevant. The President of the United States is going to be here next week. Expect to see more of President Trump in Arizona. And McSally when you see President them, right? Trump in Arizona, you're going to see Martha McSally. It is yeah. going to force Mark Kelly's hand. He could have been out ahead of this before. He's not. So now instead of being proactive, I think we're going to see him to be a little bit more reactive. And is that the did, position you want to be in? Did cinema raise more money than McSally? I don't remember that. The, the, remember the two years ago, the Senate race a year and a half ago. Did, did cinema outspend her? I don't know. I think so. I'm not exactly But not sure. by a ton. I, I, get the I just sense know that it was a really expensive race. Agreed. But that the quote-unquote lead 
or the difference in monies between Kelly and McSally is greater than it was between Cinema and McSally. Yeah, but you also have to consider that um, name recognition, being a sitting senator, also carries value. Hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, agreed. Flip side is you also have to vote and be on record for things that give your opponent a chance to argue. Look at that stupid vote. Right. I mean, or, welcome to politics. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, there, there is a there is a plus and minus. I don't know if Martha McSally is still feeling the um, Senator McSally is feeling the glow of of being a sitting senator, because as opposed to having six years under your belt where you can kind of run on. She's only got two years. Hey, she wanted the gig. She ran for it. You know, she she could have said no. (laughs) Uh, And then when she didn't win, she was appointed and she could have said no. So what is all this talk about February 14th? What is going on this Friday? Oh, come on. What is this? Are you Singles Awareness Day? Singles. Yeah. Is that what it is? Still looking for the perfect gift for your Valentine's? Yeah. We have a list of a few ideas that even me. Even I will acknowledge sound like horrible ideas. Oh, this should be rich. All right. We're going to dig into that. Coming up next on Arizona's News Station. Arizona's News Station. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. I've never heard the Valentine's song. Me neither. Is this the cure? Who is this? David Bowie. Oh, I hear. There we go, Bowie. Yeah. So apparently Valentine's Day is on Friday. Yep. If that's news to you, you are in a world of you-know-what. <laughs> um, and we have, uh, again, coming well, from the guy here who is rarely gets accused of being a romantic. Uh, yeah. Even I can acknowledge some of these sound like horrifically bad ideas. Yeah. But it also depends on who your sweetie is. Uh, Let's start off at one of my old stomping grounds. Back in the day, I used to be a server and even a trainer. Yes, I worked my way up to a trainer, Bruce. trained people. Yep. At the OG Olive Garden. And they're getting into the Valentine's Day game. How? How? Not just like a romantic dinner for two at the Olive Garden. Nope, nope. It's something a little different. Well, if you're looking for something a little more practical than flowers this Valentine's Day, Olive Garden has something that may work. It's a breadstick bouquet. (laughs) Sounds good to me. Olive Garden has some printable wrapping paper for this DIY project. Choose the one that says love at first bite or my love for you is never ended. Then pick up some breadsticks and you're done. Yeah. Really? You could just do it yourself. This year, they're actually offering a, it a, uh, at the store. A bouquet of breadsticks. First off, I'm assuming Post Malone's giving this to every one of his girls, right? They're all getting bouquet breadsticks from the OG. And I just can't get away from the idea that the, the Olive Garden slogan, which is, when you're here, why are you here? Seriously. No, it's, when you're here, you're family. Whatever. I'm, I know. I used to work there. Okay. But uh, so let's say you acknowledge if I give a bouquet of Olive Garden breadsticks to my sweetie, it's going to start a fight. What are well, my de- other options? Well, it depends. It depends because, you know, I'm not sure if I'd want the, the Olive Garden breadsticks. Yeah. No offense, OG. Yeah. I'm more of a Pizza Hut breadstick kind of gal. Oh, they if, are good. If Chris they? came to me with a bouquet of with those a pizza dozen breadsticks and some marinara, I am a carb fiend. Mm. You know what? That's looking better than some long long stem red roses. We're on to something there, but not okay. to be outdone. No, no, no. Not to be, If you are a carb fiend like me yeah. and you want more of the practical gift, okay. and may, maybe the maybe the breadstick bouquet, not quite your ass. Not your speed. Right. Um, 
Red Lobster. Oh, for the seafood lover in you. Yeah, yeah, but they also have those Cheddar Bay Biscuits. Oh, take a listen to this. Red Lobster has released heart-shaped boxes of Cheddar Bay Biscuits for Valentine's Day. Yep. I love when food comes in a package that's the shape of the thing it's going to (laughs) destroy. Yeah, Stephen Colbert right there. Yeah, of course. Uh, Cheddar Bay Biscuits, you can can order them online, get the heart-shaped box, pick up, delivery, whatever it may be, for the carb lover in you, right? Wow. Those are good biscuits. I'm going to give them that. Now, uh, one of the fights that that routinely Mm. happen in in my house is where to order pizza from. Okay. Okay? Delivery pizza. When when we get get pizza... Yeah. my my husband is a huge Venezia's fan. Okay, which which I am too. I, I mean, I, I like the but I like the thin crust pizza. Thin crust pepperoni from, from Domino's. From, I go Pizza Hut. You go Pizza Hut. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'll do the I breadsticks like, at Pizza Hut. The thin crust from Domino's. I like my crust so thin you can see through it. Yeah. I like I, translucent I like uh, crust. Um. But uh, if you're gonna pop the question, what on Valentine's Day? Okay. Don't do it with a piece of pie. Domino's Pizza has a special contest just in time for Valentine's Day. The pizza chain revealed this one-of-a-kind pizza slice engagement ring for a couple who, let's face it, is made for each other if they go for this. The 18-karat gold ring is valued at over $9,000 with ruby pepperoni and diamond cheese, and it comes nestled in a tiny pizza box. Yeah, no. No, you're spending nine grand on like, a ring? It looks like a slice of pizza with stuff on top of it, but the stuff is is jewels. Yeah, I don't want... I, if you're Diamond spending nine... pizza-shaped it, engagement ring. Nine grand on a ring. I don't want something that looks like it came from now, Charming Charlie's. If... Ouch. If you own Pizza Hut or Domino's or whatever, and you want to give a pizza ring... I don't need to walk around with a pizza much? on my finger to let you know that I own a pizza I gotta joint. think, if you did the, 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 the pizza ring, um, you could just immediately start planning the divorce once you hand that over. Oh my goodness. I'm looking yeah. at that Alright, right so, um, alright, Bruce, what what would you prefer? Would oh, you prefer God. the oh, Olive God. Garden breadstick bouquet? Okay, breadstick bouquet? Would you like to get the um, red, the, the heart-shaped box of, of, of Cheddar, Cheddar Bay biscuits Cheddar Bay from biscuit the Red Lobster? Let's go with biscuit box. Or would you like the $9,000 Domino's pizza engagement okay, let's ring? stay away from engagement or talk of wedding in general. Yeah, are you getting a high? I see some highs. I know. Are you breaking out in highs? Is it hot in here? You're sweating a bit. Um, I'm disappointed that you left off the make reservations at the Waffle House for Valentine's Day. You can get reservations. Show up with a bouquet of breadsticks from at Pizza the Hut. House? At Pizza Hut. Then let's go to the Waffle House. Is it too late to get my reservations to the Waffle House? I'll go with you to the Waffle House. <laughs> We are super romantic here on the Bruce and James and Pamela Hughes show. And if you miss any of the show today, subscribe to our podcast. You can get it anytime you want. It's brought to you by the Valley Chevy dealers. We are all uh, tongue twisted. Uh, Are you an Arizonan or an Arizonian? Apparently there is a debate over the proper term. We'll discuss it next.